We are so excited this morning because we've got another one of our friends with us and it's special to the fact of for this day we get to hear a special word in a special hour. And so you guys uh, uh, got to see Dr. Uh, Ferris come in the last time and he did a lot of prophetic ministry. But you, you really didn't get the chance to hear what an amazing teacher he is. And so Clem has uh, quickly uh, became a friend. Uh, we have uh, so many things in common. And uh, uh, this is a relationship that I know God is building that is going to last for years. He has traveled internationally, both doing prophetic ministry and teaching for over 30 years. I know he doesn't look old enough to have that much cred under him. He is a graduate of the Michigan State University, not the Michigan University, but the Michigan State University. And uh, uh, there is a depth to this man that I'm glad you're here to hear. And so we are very excited to have our good friend, Dr. Clem Ferris with us. So if you would, would you please stand and welcome our friend as he comes to preach. Well, what a privilege to be here on this super day, and uh, wow, thanks for the weather. Last time Dwight invited me, the test was to come in January. <laughs> we passed, and uh, it's so good to be back here, and um, in the midst of that, as we say, you meet your friend's friends, and so in a bold move, Chuck Hamilton had me come in. And we had a great, when was that? Was that earlier this year? About a year ago, yeah. And last January, there's the, I passed another test, yeah. No. So it is really good to get into this family, and we're going to spend a little bit of time with this team that's coming in, and I'm just excited about it. These are great days of building the church, right? Building kingdom. These are great days. These are the best days. And uh, so when we were here last time, we did a lot of prophetic ministry, as uh, Pastor said. And uh, what's on my heart today is something I do quite regularly, and that's coming in and challenging any church that has had prophetic ministry on how to steward the Word of the Lord. Amen. Because it's not enough just to have an event and not just enough to receive a prophetic word. The real work is, what are you going to do now that you've got your word? Now what happens? Or what happens when nothing happens? Yeah. You ever feel like that? It's like, I got that prophecy and nothing's happened. Well, there's... I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot going on between you and God. And we're going to explore that from Scripture this morning. And I want you to just turn to uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Don't you love it when a preacher says, turn to the book of Revelation? It just gets your juices flowing, doesn't it? We won't stay too long. Revelation chapter 1 was what's called the prologue to this book that John's writing. And he sets up kind of a paradigm and, and a principle, a prophetic principle before he delivers this incredible revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the book of Revelation. He says in Revelation 1-3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it, for the time is near. It's a powerful statement, powerful premise that John puts in there. And then at the end of the book, chapter 22, verse 7, the same words come, but they're condensed a little bit with one more final charge, and now it's in red letters. He's actually quoting Jesus saying the same words, Revelation 22, 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keeping a word of prophecy is so important. Amen. 
the final book of the Bible and the, the most prophetic book we could say has this charge. It's not enough to read it. It's not enough to hear it. You've got to keep it. So what does it mean to keep a word of prophecy? The Greek word is tareo. It's an interesting word. It's got a couple of connotations to it. First means to watch over something so it's not lost or stolen. Isn't that interesting? That word that John used and that Jesus used, you've got to keep it. Watching it, there's a visual aspect to prophetic download into your life. You've got to watch over it so it won't be lost or stolen, which means it can be. It can be lost. It can be stolen, which means what? We have an enemy. It can be stolen. Right. We have, there's a thief out there identified by John also in his, uh, his gospel. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, the devil hates prophecy. He hates the word of God. He hates anything that comes out of God's mouth. <laughs> he hates it. He's, he's an enemy of it. And he says, uh, I'm going to do something about it. If, if they don't, I will. Sometimes the devil's more interested in your prophecy than you are. He's like, oh, no. What if they actually do that? <laughs> what if they actually begin to do that? So it means to ward off an enemy. Another connotation of Torah, ward off an enemy. It was used in classical Greek to ward off a pack of wild dogs that were coming to attack you and just beating them off with a stick. And sometimes you've got to beat the enemy back because he's going to try to come and attack the very things that God wants to do in your life. Thirdly, it means to bring something to completion. That idea of Torah, to keep it, means I keep it, not just put it in a safe and lock it. Or here's my least favorite phrase <laughs> that I have to debunk Many, many places, many times. Not here, of course, but in other churches where good-meaning people, good-meaning pastors and leaders and others have used this phrase to help guide saints when it comes to getting a prophetic word. And they say, well, what do I do, pastor or leader? What do I do after I get my prophecy? They go, you know, you don't have to do anything. Just put it on a shelf. Crickets. Hear the crickets? Because maybe you've heard that phrase, and I, can I just kindly, biblically debunk that phrase that that's not in the Bible? That when you get a word from God, you don't put it on a shelf. There's no shelves. <laughs> There's no shelves. we got to activate it. you got to do something with it. So you don't put it on a shelf. You watch over it so it won't be lost or stolen, and you bring it to completion. So to keep a word means to actively engage with the God that gave the word and bring that word, God's intention, to pass. That's that whole idea. So when we're keeping the word of the Lord... I want to take you to uh, the parable of the sower for just a minute. One verse, Matthew chapter 13, where we see Jesus teaching his disciples about this very process of waging war with prophecy before we get to Paul's teaching on it. So Jesus uses this foundation parable of the kingdom, the parable of the sower. You know what it is. The sower sows the word. The destination of the word is the heart of man. There's four different kinds of soil, etc. We know that. Very simple but complex uh, teaching that Jesus gave. And like any good disciple, he gives the teaching and they look at him and go, um, could you explain the parable of the sower? We, we didn't get it the first time. How many never get it the first time? I, that's why we read the Bible over and over. And you kind of look at it and go, God, what, what, what do you mean? It's good to be in a stage of inquiry. The prophetic words should launch you into a state of inquiry. Of questions. What do you mean, God? What are you saying? I, I don't understand. That's good. And I'll explain this with this one verse, verse 18 and 19, where Jesus then re-explains the parable of the sower. He says this, says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one to snatch away that which is sown in his heart. That's how he starts the explanation of how this whole system works. We're going to break that verse down for a minute here. He starts out saying, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, you know a prophecy, when God talks, yeah. it's a word from the kingdom. 
out of the king's mouth. It doesn't originate in earth. It doesn't originate in the mind of man. It comes out of the mouth of the king. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and here's the little phrase that trips us up all the time, and understands it not. And you go, that's my problem. I get these goofy prophecies, and I don't understand half of it. doesn't make any sense to me. I've got good news for you. The Greek word there for understand does not have anything to do with your intelligence or your, your capacity to reason. It has nothing to do with your theological concepts. And have I been to seminary? I'm not a Bible scholar. No wonder I don't understand. It has nothing to do with that at all, which is really good news. The word there is sunami in the Greek, and the, the word there means to happen upon. To happen upon. And so let me give you an illustration. If there was a, someone on that side of the room and someone on that side of the room, and they walked toward the center, and they met here in the center, that place where they met and happened upon each other would be sunami. If two streams of water from two different water sources started flowing towards each other and met and formed a new water source, that place where those two different streams met would be sunami. They happen upon each other coming from different directions. They meet. So when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, which comes from a whole different source than earth in the mind of man, comes out of heaven, pulsates down into earth. And by the way, you know, when God opens his mouth and begins to, as we say, speak, it's not English. It's not Greek, it's not Hebrew, it's not Italian. See, when God opens his mouth, it's divine energy. Divine energy pulsates out of his, his being. It's powerful. It's energy. It's, it's full of life and full of power, and it pulsates down towards a destination called the human heart. Its destination is planet Earth into the human heart. That's the destination of God's words, and it comes at us, and then see prophetic people, people that have the Holy Spirit, dee, 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 dee. we're picking up a pulsation. There's something coming. Incoming, incoming, what do I feel? What do I sense? We, what do we do? We start grappling and wrestling for verbiage and words because our job is to wrap language around that divine pulsation and deliver it into the human ear. That's what prophetic people do. So it comes at us and it comes and then it has to happen upon us. There has to be a meeting place for the word of God in your life and it's the human heart comes in through the ears, but the destination is the heart. And when Jesus said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't allow sunami, don't, you don't allow it to happen upon you, watch, then comes the wicked one. Do you know the devil shows up at every prophetic meeting? He's just watching, I wonder if they're actually going to do this stuff. I just wonder if they're going to actually keep these words. I wonder if they're going to allow that word to get into them, or they're just going to transcribe it, fold it up, put it in their Bible, and put it on a... God forbid, shelf. <laughs> I wonder. Because if you don't, then, Jesus said, then comes the wicked one. And what does he do? He snatches away that which was sown in the heart. Snatches it away. What a powerful word. It's a, it's a warfare word. It's the word harpazo. Har I love just saying that word. Harpazo. With a sharp P, puff. Everybody, harpazo. Accent on the second syllable. One, two, three. Harpazo. Doesn't that feel good coming out of your mouth? Harpazo. It's like, pa. But you're saying, wait a minute. That's what the devil does. And you go, he comes and it means to snatch away, to, to seize something by force in warfare. That's a powerful word. And you think, well, the audacity of the devil. How does he think he has the right to come in and harpazo me? <laughs> Why would he think he can come and snatch away? 
Well, where did he get the idea? Where he gets all of his ideas from God. Out of the Bible. He knows the Bible better than most of you. He's been around a long time. And you see, Harpazo was an instruction given to us just two chapters before. And you know this verse. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent ones... Say it in Greek. Ready? Violent ones? Harpazo. You got it. You're all Greek scholars now. Yeah, that instruction was given to us. We are forcefully advancing the kingdom of God because we are seizing by force in warfare the kingdom. How do we do that? One word at a time. By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is a war of words, everybody. We're in a war of words. Our weapon is a word. The sword of the Spirit. You understand, we, the first lyric that we sang this morning, was, we're in an invisible war. You don't see it with their natural eyes, but we're in a war of words. And the devil goes, I'm, if you don't harpazo, I'm going to harpazo. You lazy Christians are going to, sorry, if you Christians aren't going <laughs> to harpazo, I just slipped out. That, I, I didn't harpazo that very well. Uh, if, you just, if you're not going to seize the kingdom of God by force with the word of the Lord, then I am. Because I know how detrimental, it will destroy my kingdom. It will destroy everything that I'm trying to do. And I can't have that. So Jesus warns us. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, you don't allow it to happen upon you. Then comes the wicked one to harpazo and steal and snatch away that which is sown in the heart. So Paul picks up on this same thing, and he's teaching young Timothy how to wage warfare with prophecy because we're in a war. Right. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he's teaching Timothy about what to do when you get a prophecy. Timothy got a great prophecy. He had the laying out of hands, just like we did up here this morning. The laying out of hands, prophecy, there was a download, and they said, Tim, listen to me. This charge I'm committing to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on you, that by them you can wage good warfare. That's a powerful instruction. Paul, Paul shifts into military mode. Completely, he goes completely military on Timothy. And he says, Timothy, this charge I'm committing to you. He uses the word charge, great military word. Paragalion is the Greek word for charge. And it means an order, a command given by a superior ranking officer to an inferior ranking officer. That's, that's the word Paul chose to use. He said, I'm giving you this command, this charge, not because I'm Paul. I'm not pulling some kind of a spiritual rank on you. He actually calls him his son. He goes, I'm treating you like a son, but... It's orders from headquarters. <laughs> it's a command given by a superior. Now, I didn't serve in the military. Anybody serve in the military? We bless you, Chuck, amen, others. God bless you all. Um, I've been in the Army of the Lord a long time, but never served in the natural military. But help me out, you military people. Help me out. When a superior ranking officer gives a command to an inferior ranking officer, Chuck, help me. What are some of the possible responses? Just possible. Yes, sir. Okay, well, I know that one. Okay, but let's, let, there's got to be more. Can't we invent some? Uh, you just do it, right? Well, I got good news for you Christians, because I've been in the army of the Lord a long time, and I found out we have invented some options. Spir there are spiritual options to commands, and they're all spiritual. They sound good. For instance, I'll pray about it. Come on. You, you've been in the army longer than me, sis. Yeah, I'll pray about it, Lord. Oh, that's not bad. That's a nice suggestion. Well, let me go pray about that. Or just simply saying... I just don't have a witness about that, Tammy. I don't, 
not feeling it. And you know, parents, this is a great way to train your children. Right? right? <laughs> Son, what? When I get home from work, I want you to have the lawn mowed. Okay, Dad. All right. Dad goes to work, comes home, the lawn's not mowed. Son, what? I thought I told you to mow the lawn while I was gone. Well, you know, Dad, <laughs> you know, I, I immediately went to my bedroom and started praying about that. <laughs> I started praying about the lawn. And God took me to some amazing scriptures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So I went out and I laid down in the lawn, and I just looked up and I said, Father, thank you for this grass. Dad, I've had an incredible day of worship. I prayed. I've invited my friends over. We did a Bible study on grass. And Dad, it's been awesome. And I just want you to know, Dad, I, I'll, I'll eventually get to it, but I, I'm not feeling it today. It's not feeling, I, want, I just really wanted to get in the Word today, and I just want to thank you for that Word. Thank you for that Word this morning. It I put me right in a good spiritual place. Son, what? I wanted you to mow the lawn. <laughs> doesn't work, does it, parents? Don't have a witness, Mom. We create options. Paul's saying, there's no options here, Tim. <laughs> this command I'm giving you, according to your prophecy, that what? That by them, those prophecies, you can wage good warfare. Wage good warfare. That's the goal. You're in a war. We're in a war of words. And there's two kinds of warfare. Not three, two. There's good warfare and bad warfare. How many ever had bad warfare? All hands go up. We've had some bad warfare. God has ordained good warfare. You say, is there a third option like no warfare? Sorry. No option C. Because prophecy is so phenomenal, it's always a two-for-one special. You always get more than you bargain for. Amen. It comes with automatic warfare. Automatic. Every word that comes out is, will be tested. It will be warred after. It will, don't come to snatch it away. There's war around the word. And God wants you to wage good warfare. Those two words, wage and warfare, come from the same Greek root word, strateia, where we get the word strategy. Ah, do you realize in every prophetic word God gives you, there's a hidden strategy to have good warfare on how to fight against the devil and fight against yourself? Hello. That's usually the first war is the mirror. <laughs> Did God really say that to me? So there's a strategy in every prophetic word to wage good warfare. It's also where we get the word stratosphere. Hence, the war is not here. It's there. It's a spiritual war. So Paul says, Timothy, look, I'm, I'm giving you this charge according to your prophecy so you can find God's strategy for your life and for other things. And here's the two keys in the next verse. He says, holding faith and a good conscience. That's how you wage good warfare. That's how you find the strategy of God. First of all, you hold that prophecy in faith. So that's why you can't put it on a shelf. How do you hold a prophecy when it's sitting on the shelf? You can't do it. You hold it, literally holding the prophecy in faith. You say, ah, uh, can you, can I be like a disciple and say, could you please explain the parable of faith? Yes, in simple terms, there is a place for your prophecy. It's not a shelf. It's the human heart. You hold it where? In your heart. Why? Because the heart is the chamber of your faith. Yes. Biblically described as the chamber of your faith is your heart. And the organ of your faith is your mouth. Yeah. And they work together to produce trans divine transactions. How did you get saved? You believed in your heart and you confessed with your divine transaction. Boom. Something happens. 
Okay, so that you got a holding the prophecy in faith and, and a good conscience. Now, this is a little more complex, but let me just break it down for a minute. How do you hold a prophecy with a good conscience? When you hold on to the concepts that come, you have to understand there's something going on all the time between you and God. There's something transacting. It's invisible. It's internal. Uh, we are tripartite beings, spirit, soul, and body. Three-part beings, right? And then inside of us, our soul has basically three major components, mind, will, and emotion. But our spirit also has three major functions. Our spirit. You can watch how the spirit functions. One is the fellowship function. We have a fellowship capacity of the spirit that goes beyond having coffee with somebody. That's where you fellowship with God. It's where you fellowship with someone you don't even know. I met Don Richter coming in, and, and already we were having fellowship. We didn't, it's like, what's your name again? It's like, we're, we're introducing ourselves. We're, we're having instant fellowship yeah. of our, our spirits. We're like, well, I, I know him. I know him. Yeah. You, you know, it's that thing that you function spiritually. There's the intuition, another part of your spirit. It's where you know when you don't know. How did you know? I don't know. I just know. Right. And women have an extra large one. Just get over it, man. Get over it and thank God for it. Yes. It saved your bacon more than once. My, I have three sons and a daughter. My sons are like, how does mom know these things? I go, don't mess with her. Mom, how do you know? It's where you know things of the spirit. It's where the gifts of the spirit flow from your intuition, the intuitive part of your spirit. God feeds information into your spirit by the spirit. But then there's another part of your spirit, and it's called the conscience. Conscience is interesting because the very name means co-science. It's a place of two knowledges. It's a function of your spirit where you have information going back and forth between the soul and the spirit. It's like a swinging door. There's some things come in through your mind and your will, and they come in and feed into your spirit, and some things come right from the spirit when you're getting revelation, and it feeds down into your soul. It's like a swinging door. It's a place of two knowledges. We say it this way, your conscience is the place of agreement within you between your concepts and your conduct. It's a place of agreement where your concepts line up with your conduct. Now, when they don't, we have a term we use that our conscience bothers us. You ever say that? My conscience bothering me. Why? Because your concepts and your conduct are not in sync. You're doing something boneheaded and stupid that violates your own concepts, like the third piece of cake. It's going down, and all the time you're eating that third piece of cake, your conscience is going, what are you doing? This is your, th and if it's, if it's not your conscience, your wife will get you anyways. Like, what are you, that's your third piece of cake, what are you doing? Because your concept is, you're trying to stay thin and lose weight, and not, and that, but your conduct is violating your concept of healthy eating, and like, boom, your conscience. As a voice. Paul said, Timothy, you gotta hold on to those prophetic words in faith and a good conscience. Because you see, when God talks to us, He introduces new concepts into our life. He's always introducing new concepts. First of all, about who He is. We find out more about God. We find out more about ourselves. We find out more about how God made us and what He intended for us and how He designed us. Those are new concepts. You go, I don't see myself doing that. Well, no, you don't. That's why God talks to you. <laughs> I don't, I don't bear witness. No, you probably don't bear witness to that. That's why you have to have a prophet come in every now and then, prophesy to you. God introduces new concepts about people in your life, circumstances, countries, nations, where God sees.
And we have to change our conduct. The goal is what? Change our conduct. That's why there's so, a lot of times you prophesy over somebody just about identity. This is who you are in Christ. And people sit there and the Kleenex are coming out because they, they see themselves as a, as a wreck. They look at their life. And God goes, I love you, son. You're, you're just, one, I was prophesying over a young man in Wales, and he was a buff. He was a stud soccer player, perfect, just prophesying over him. And I kept saying, Father loves you. Oh, the Father loves you. I couldn't stop saying it. It was one of those like, oh, can we get off this concept now, God? I want to move on to the next. And I, God just said, say it again. The Father loves I just, the Father's love. I just, and he, he just started breaking, and he started weeping, and he, he bent over, and he's sobbing. And come to find out, he had a shipwreck of a home life, and no father, and all this. And so sometimes God just has to say, I love you. That's not a bad prophecy when it's done in the anointing. Sometimes God just wants to reiterate, I am your father, and I love you. See, it changes a concept, and that will change your conduct. And that's what the goal is here, holding that prophecy in faith and a good conscience. Some, we're not done with the, there's a comma there. Some, concerning what? The faith. Concerning this, some, by rejecting, uh-oh, you know you can reject prophecy? You can reject, bear witness to that. Good luck with that, um, because some, having rejected this, they make shipwreck of their what? Faith. You can shipwreck your faith. And Paul's warning Timothy. This is all couched in some pretty black and white terms here. The word shipwreck in the Greek is naogeo, where we get the English word to navigate. You know, a prophetic word will help you navigate life. It'll help you navigate into the future where you can't see with these eyes where to go, but God says, trust me, the day will come when you will be doing this, this, this. And you go, I don't see it. He goes, I know it. But trust me, hold in faith and a good conscience. Let your concepts shift and change so that you can navigate the waters of the future. Church, we are going to need hyper-navigation systems in the next number of years because the world is crashing. Systems are crashing. Babylon is rising, but it's going to fall because the Bible says so. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. A great shout comes from an angel. Fallen is Babylon the great. I'm going to take it down, just like God took down Egypt. He destroyed a whole system. He destroyed an entire empire. God can do it. We sang about it. Did you believe it? He's powerful, all this. We sing about it. Then we walk out going, I don't know what's going to happen today. You know, we're not in the corner crying with the Kleenex. We're saying, Jesus is coming, and we're going to rise up and take the nations. Because the Bible says it, and we get prophetic words that fuel the drive. So, I'm going to introduce you a few things. Five battlefields of the prophetic. They're just quick. Before I do that, I want to... Probably the most important thing I would say today is the prophetic always involves a process with you and God. It's a process. Say process. That's the key word. That's the takeaway word. There is a process that God launches you into when you receive a word from him. And if you don't engage in the process, you'll never arrive at the destination. You can't get there. You can't just, it's not fortune telling, folks. We're not, that's not what we do. We're not just getting, oh, I've got a great future and I'm going to have this. God says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. So you've got to engage. It's what we call the journey of inquiry. It's not the delivery of just a prophetic word, a singular word. It opens up an entire process of inquiry where it demands you have to go back to God. The first thing you do after a prophecy is what? Go right to God immediately. Do not pass go. Go to God. And you should have lots of questions. 
If it doesn't generate a lot of questions, it was just a nice fluffy encouragement. But we need things that shock us, challenge us, stir us, provoke us, and move us into action mode. The Word of God was designed for action. It was designed for action, not to be heard, to be done. Crickets. Yeah. Isaiah said this amazing thing in Isaiah 55, verse 8. He says, my thoughts, by the way, aren't your thoughts. We, we start out with an immediate conflict when God talks. And my ways aren't your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so is my word. Then he gives a weather analogy. He says, like the rain and the snow come down from heaven, to water what's in the earth, he goes, so, so is my word. Do you know, again, it comes down from another dimension. And then rain and snow come down, and you know about snow. I have to explain to the Floridians. Now, there's this stuff that freezes on its way down up, up in the northern part of the United States. But, you know, we all like a rain prophecy, right? Because it immediately waters us. It's like, whew, you feel refreshed from that word. I got so encouraged. But see, there's times prophecy comes like snow. It's cold, it's lifeless, and it just drops and sits and does nothing. It just sits there and doing nothing. You're going, oh, I got that prophecy and nothing's happening. It's because it's a snow prophecy. And it'll just sit there and it'll sit there and it'll sit there and it'll sit there until there's a change of seasons. Wow. God changes the season in your life. Yeah. The temperature goes up and suddenly that snow becomes water and waters. That's good. And that's up to God. But here's the promise behind it. Whether it's rain or snow prophecy, he says this, as for my word, it will not return to me void. It won't return. There's no reverse gear on a prophecy. It never goes back. Prophecy never gets discouraged or never gets upset, never gets impatient. It's like, God, you know, it's been six months. These bonehead, I mean, these people aren't even trying. I'm just coming back to heaven. God goes, no, you're not. Stay there. It stays in suspension. It just hovers, sometimes for decades, sometimes for years. All the prophecies about the Messiah hung in suspension until the time came. And the fullness of time, boom, That's right. there was execution of the word. It doesn't go back. Isn't that good? Amen. Very good. I stole that from Isaiah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Ike. Ike's my mentor. Everybody needs a dead mentor. You need a good dead mentor. Mine's Ike. I call him Ike. We're on first name basis. <laughs> All right. What starts as insight into the future, that's, we all love that. Oh, I want to know the future. Yes, you do. When God gives an insight to the future, he's expecting you to turn it into some kind of action. And that comes through prayer and seeking and pounding. God, what do you mean? What must I do? What do I let go of? What do I pick up? Constant journey of questions. And that'll launch you into particular battles. So I'm just going to give you five tips, five little battlefields that you need to be aware of when it comes to receiving prophetic words. And we were here almost two years ago, and I just want to encourage you, get your prophecies back out. Amen. You will be shocked. We were talking about that this morning, weren't we, sister? You'd be shocked to say, yeah, I got that prophecy two years ago. Ah, yeah, I said something. Go back. Look at it again. There has been so much change in your life, you don't even realize it in the last two years. Right. You go back and go, I didn't remember that phrase. Well, that makes sense now, it didn't then, etc. because it keeps unfolding. So there'll be battles. And the first one is the battlefield of, of doubt. <laughs> okay? You'll have doubts about it. And you'll have delays. And you'll have all kinds of things. And so let me just explain something. Okay, let's use good old Abraham. Abraham got a great prophecy. You and your wife are going to have a baby. It's your ripe old age. And he goes, woohoo, Sarah. 
let's go to Amazon and order some stuff. And so they got buggies and all this stuff. And then 25 years later, 25 years later, what was going on in Abraham and Sarah's life? 25 years of delay. What a battlefield. See, God was forging faith. God doesn't waste anything. Delay is not denial. It's a process that God takes you through to form something in you that you can't form yourself. That's right. And he forged faith in Abraham so he could become really the epitome of the prophetic word, the father of faith. It took time. It wasn't even over that. There was a few more times. But see, God's always after something. Finally, when he took his son Isaac up to be sacrificed, he put the knife up, and the angel said, Stop! Now I know. What a powerful phrase. God would say, Ah, there it is. That's what I was after. We call it perfected intent. God perfected the intentions of his heart to be completely in line with God where he would have put the knife in because he knew, he knew God would raise him up. And that was, of course, the symbol of the cross in Christ, right? So God's looking for, there's an intention behind every prophetic word to build something of Christ in you that's not there yet. So we go through the battlefields of delay. You go through the battlefields of no recognition. It's wonderful to get a prophecy and maybe like this, you're going to be a leader in the house of God and, you know, I see leadership on you and you're stuck puffing your chest out and you walk out of that Sunday night meeting going to hear my word, hear that word about leader, and you show up at church the next morning and say, hey, Pastor Dwight, how'd you like my word about leader? That was good. That was a really good word. So where's my office? <laughs> Do I share? How, how are we doing that? And business cards, make sure you spell my name right and uh, I'll probably need a cell phone. Um, you know, leader, you heard the prophecy, right? And you're going, brother, what? Um... We have leadership training starting next week for 10 weeks on Tuesday nights. Uh, you need to come. What night? Tuesday. What time? Seven. That's my bowling night. <laughs> Just can't, sorry, can't make it. You see, the battle of no recognition, the devil tries to puff up your ego. You get a good resounding prophetic word, and then the devil will just come and push and push and push on that, and then finally he'll say, you'll never get that word fulfilled at this church. You need to go to that, that church. Take that prophecy down. Show that pastor. They'll, they'll make an instant leader. That'll never happen here. And you get discouraged, and you all that happens. That's a battle. Ask Mordecai. That's another biblical example. You know, he finally had his day. And then there's the battle of what we call misunderstanding, which is not like Sunami. It's actually like, I don't understand. But here's the deal. Go to the God that gave you the word. Go to him for understanding. You can get counsel from your pastors and leaders. I recommend that. When it comes down to it, it's a word from God to you. So go to God. We're just the delivery boys, right? Imagine someone delivering a letter. Do they still deliver letters in Ohio? Yeah. Anyway, um, it's rare. I get junk mail, but rarely get a letter, right? But a lady goes out of the mailbox, gets a letter from her sister, opens it up. She starts reading it on the way back to her house, and she stops. and She looks, and there's the mailman still delivering. Excuse me! Excuse me! Mailman! Yes! Come here a minute! Come here! He comes over. Ma'am, what, what, what's the problem? He goes, um, I just got this letter from my sister, and she just said, I don't understand what she means by this. Can you just explain it to me? Right. Like, Lady, I didn't write that letter. I just delivered it. Right. <laughs> Come on. You need to ask your sister, right? We do that with God a lot of times. Right. We get a prophetic word, and then we go, Pastor, I don't understand. Or call, call Clem back. I, I get people that get me before I even leave the sanctuary, like, Brother, yeah. Um, was there, like, anything else God showed you? I was going, yes, I just didn't want to tell you. <laughs> What do you mean, was there anything else? Or, or you know, you, you said this, what did you mean? I go, I have no idea. 
Words come out of my mouth. I'm not even listening half the time. No, I'm kidding. But they just come, right? So it's like, go to God. He wrote the message. It drives you back to God. There's always the battle of doubt that goes along with the battle of delay because the, the devil wants to get you to doubt, did God really say? And that's a whole sermon that Dwight will preach someday. Yeah. But you know, Hebrews 4.2 says the word didn't profit them because it didn't, they didn't mix it with faith. Hebrews 4.2. The word comes to us, so you've got to mix it with faith. And then finally, there's the battle of the prophetic crisis that comes to us. Oh, this is lovely. This, like I said, it's always a two-for-one special. There will be some kind of a crisis that you end up in because of a prophetic word. Ask Joe. I'm on first name basis with a lot of these guys because I spend a lot of time with them. Joseph. Ask Joseph. He had a couple of nice crises that came out of his prophetic word. We sang about it this morning. Did you catch that lyric? It's Romans 8, 26, but it goes all the way back to Joe. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He got thrust into several crises. Because here's the deal. In a crisis, God's purifying you. I get that out of two scriptures. One is Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6. The other's in Psalms. Psalm, I think, 118. But anyway, here's the idea. Psalm 18, verse 30. And it says essentially the same thing. As for God's word, it is pure. And that sounds like huh, cliche. I love God's word. It's so pure. There's a lot of action in that verse. Because the word pure really is an action word in the Hebrew. It literally means to be purified. As for God's word... It's a purifier. And how does that work? There's a picture behind that of a smelting furnace that they would have these furnace and they would just stoke them up to thousands of degrees of heat. And they would take raw ore and put it in the furnace. And what happens to that raw ore? It starts decomposing and melting down. How many ever had a meltdown after a prophecy? I have. <laughs> Pastor, my life was great till I got that prophecy. All hell broke loose, man. I've been in the fire and you're going, good. Wait, I'm, I'm so excited for you. I'll stop praying for you now. You're right where you need to be, right in the fire. Because God, see, here's the thing. As for God's word, it is a purifier. But the problem is God puts it in us. So he says, angels, what? Stoke up the furnace and throw Ferris and the word in there. Throw them both in. It'll do them good. And we go into the fire of purification. God turns up the heat and see all those raw things and all those nasty things start rising up. See, when you put raw ore into a fire, all the impurities rise to the surface. You ever had a nice prophecy and you're just feeling really good about yourself, and then suddenly there's impurities that you thought were long gone, <laughs> words that you thought, thoughts come out. What's God doing? He's purifying you. The word's purifying you, and you're in crisis. And God's just busy there. Scrape it off. That's it. Scrape it off. Turn up the heat. Scrape it off. You come out pure. It's a process. It's a war. But I want to give you good news from Peter at the end. This is not on the slides, but um, 1 Peter chapter 5, Pete. Again, sorry, I'm just so familiar with these guys. Pete is writing the end of his first epistle, and Pete had been through the fire. Peter got some, I would say, pretty outstanding prophecies. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. <laughs> hey, boys, you hear my, hear my word? Hey, John, the one that Jesus loves most. Ha! You ain't preaching on Pentecost, I am. You know, so Peter's sticking out his chest, and he's puffing and huffing, and, and all this stuff's going on, but he goes through some stuff. Peter was tried in the fire, and he talks about your faith being more precious than pure gold, purified. Peter went through the furnace, man. He went through a purifying process. And this is how he concludes his first epistle, chapter 5, 
verse 10. And after you've suffered a little while, how many love that? That'll, that'll be an upcoming series. The joys of suffering. Whee! And after you've suffered a little, suffering's not a bad word, it's in the Bible. Our kingdom was built on suffering. Our king suffered. Paul said, I might I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Aren't you glad you don't have to go to the cross? But we partner with his suffering. So Peter says, look, after you've su suffering is a severe human experience, and we all have them. We were talking about that. We all have severe human experiences. We're the only ones that have the answer, though. The church has the answer. And Pete's going, listen, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace calls him the God of all grace, watch, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, reflects it back on this is the work of God. He will himself, the God of all grace, will himself restore. That's the same word for equipping of the saints, katartismas. See, there's an equipping that goes on in the life of the saint after you suffer a little while. The God of all grace pours something into you you never had before. It's grace. Peter used the same concept over in chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. We're talking about stewardship of what? The manifold or the varied grace of God. I love that word. It's the same word that James uses. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's that same word. You know what it means? Multicolored. I love that. Do you know that trials come in different shapes and sizes and colors? But so does God's grace. God has a grace to match every trial you go through. You get up on Monday, you're having a blue Monday, I got good news. God has blue grace. You tough it out, you go, somebody does something really irritates you, you're all mad, you're hot, you're red on Tuesday. God has red grace. Come on, God has a grace to match everything you go through. He's the God of all grace, Peter said. And when he downloads grace to you, when you're going through these things, here's what he's out to do. He's out to restore, equip you, mend you, confirm. Makes, means, makes solid as a rock, that word, confirm. He's putting something solid of himself in you that's immovable, unshakable, solid as a rock. He will strengthen you. He'll add strength, not take it away. You think sometimes you're going through a trial, you feel so weak and wobbly and like, oh, I'm just, I can't go through this. And God's strengthening you. You don't even realize it because the God of all grace is saying, I'll strengthen you. And I love the last word, and he will establish you. That's where we get the old word to colonize, to set up a, a kingdom colony. I mean, the earth is a colony of heaven. We're just a colony. Some of you are kind of going, by, mis by intentional mistake, I used that in South Africa this summer, and my brother that I work with goes, ah, oh, can you just like not use that word down here? It's got a bad connotation. I go, I'm going to use it. In fact, next time I come, I'm going to do a whole teaching on it because... We don't really understand how heaven and earth work. If you don't understand that earth is just a colony of heaven with its own government and its own king. Hello. Yeah. Right. Oh, this is a whole team. You can't do it. It's 12 o'clock. Got to stop. But you got to understand, this is all about the kingdom, advancing the kingdom and establishing a foundation for a future colony called eternity. How many know we're going? I hate to say this. You're not going to heaven when you die forever. You're not going to live in heaven forever. Crickets. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him. 
Is, this might be shocking news to some of you, but I think that's the best news of all. We're going to have new bodies, new heaven, new earth, and we will continuously be an extension of the eternal kingdom of God right here on earth. Is that not mind-blowing? Wow! Because that's why Peter finishes with these words. To him be the dominion. That's another kingdom word. It's actually where the word kingdom comes from. Kingdom. Basileia is the Greek word. It means the domain of a king. To him be dominion. This is all wrapped up in prophecy. It's not a toy. And it's not something we just kind of play with. It's something that comes out of the heart of God. He always wanted to talk to us. He's never stopped. He wrote a great book. The Bible's a great book. I love it. But God never stops talking. Because he loves us. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. If you've had prophecies in the past, go get them. Don't get them off your shelf. I know they're not on your shelf. I know that. You would never do that. But go back and revisit the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who read and who hear and who keep the words of prophecy, for the time is at hand. Saints, we are in a war, and God's going to continue to give strategy for spiritual warfare. How are you going to take this sector of Columbus? God's going to give you strategy. For some of you, it's already in your prophecies. You missed it. God's saying, go back. There's a hidden strategy. Because you didn't even dare ask the question, well, God, how am I going to, how am I going to do that? God's going, oh, I'm glad you asked. You're going to go back and find hidden strategies. Use them in your small groups. We, our small groups, they love that. They, they'll have just a prophecy night and say, everybody bring your prophecies. Even if they're 10 years old, bring them. Let's read them together. Let's pray over them. And let's see what God says. You'd be amazed. It's so much fun. And it's so powerful. We don't play with the word of the Lord. It's powerful. That's why the devil hates it. He tries to corrupt it. There's a whole false prophetic dimension that corrupts. But we got to keep plowing with the true. Amen. So, Father, I bless Redeemer's Church. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord that has come time and time again. But, God, that you would unfold it. God, you would cause each and every one of us to rise up and wage good warfare according to the prophecies spoken on us that, God, your kingdom would be established, that we would advance the kingdom, we would reach more people for Christ. We want to make it hard to go to hell from right here. (laughs) We want to make it hard to go to hell from this sector of Ohio. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you.